in my background, I've done things throughout my life where I had a um, surf coaching business uh, where I'd surf coach people. And then I had a business where I was manufacturing surfboards and then basic bananas assisting businesses with their marketing and so on. Now, with the surf coaching, I could deliver a certain amount of value, but it might be like, look, James, I'll help you with your bottom turn, you know, and it's kind of like, what price can you put on that? Like, obviously, <laughs> it's a bit difficult. And then in a 45 minute session, I might be able to help you, you know, like transition in your turns smoother. Now, this might be life changing for you, but people aren't going to pay a thousand bucks for a 45 minute little session like that. Maybe some would, but the majority, they aren't. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Schramko. Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. And today we're talking about pricing. This is episode 747. So we'll put it up on the Superfast Business site. We'll fully transcribe it. Today's guest is Christo Hall from Basic Bananas. Hey, Christo. G'day, James. It's good to have you on this call. I love our chats and you're certainly a master of this topic, pricing, because your business is involved in marketing. You run little workshops. You have a whole bunch of clients you give advice to on how to get better results for their business through their different marketing strategies. And one thing that comes up all the time, certainly for me, and I'm sure it does for you, is how do we price our product? Yeah, it's a huge topic and constant too. And especially when you're creating new products, new services, when you know competitors come into the market, it is a massive topic. And um, yeah, you're right, I'm across a lot of the time and, and working with so many different businesses from product, service, business to business, business consumer, as you'd see a lot of as well. It's always a constant challenge. So yeah, got some really cool insights today to share with your listeners, which will be awesome. For once, we're not talking about surfing only, <laughs> you and me. <laughs> Look at that. It made its way into the conversation within a minute and Already. And a half. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was being so disciplined as well. Well done. <laughs> I mean, just for context, you know, for our listener, they should know that, Christo, you're one of the top ranked surfers in the entire world and you were on the professional circuit for many years. And certainly when we go surfing together, I always learn from the master. You've been able to enhance my game, which is a good reason to get coaching, right, in whatever you do. If you want to get better at it, hang out with people who are really good at it, and especially if they're good at teaching it, which you are. So thank you for all of that. And with regards to pricing, I'd say it's about a quarter of what I talk about, pricing and strategy. I'm dealing with a lot of membership owners, a lot of information product owners, agencies, some software as a service, not so many e-commerce. And I don't deal with as many regular businesses as you might. So I think this will be a great conversation. Where should we kick off? Should we talk about positioning? Yeah, the first thing, like we kind of go start at the top and broad and then kind of narrow into specifics of how to, you know, get the actual numbers for your pricing. But definitely it's all about positioning really where your business is going to sit and who your customers are going to be. Like who do you want to reach? But what I like to say, most people kind of rush straight for the, you know, always who's the customer, who's the ideal client, you know, we've got to get inside their head and their thoughts and everything and profile them. It's kind of like, obviously, that's very, very important, but we've got to look at when we're positioning, we have to look at them getting value. So what I like to say to businesses, first of all, is let's position you above the market you're actually selling to. So it's kind of like we've got to look at the brand and the service and the quality and the value that you can provide. And just keeping in mind before we get into the nitty gritty of it, like you kind of got a position above the market you actually sell to for your market to, well, not only perceive, but also actually receive value so that they walk away. Like a happy customer is someone who pays something and they get more value than what they paid, if that makes sense. You know, they get more value in return for their money than the money they spent on you. 
it's like a brand like Gucci will position as to world-class brands, you know, like as the kind of world-class global status to sell, you know, they'll create like a $500,000 handbag from time to time as a positioning method, which we'll go through in a moment. But um, really, it's to sell, you know, the $2,000 handbags. It's positioning up high so that people that spend 2000 bucks on a handbag, they're getting value for money, basically, or they're perceived, at least you're perceiving they're getting value for money. You know, like, like the use of athletes, like you just said, I was a professional surfer for many years and I was sponsored throughout those years, getting paid and getting all sorts of products given to me so that those brands would sell to average, you know, intermediate surfers, basically, and kids. Whereas, you know, using it's like the, um, I just watched the uh, Michael Jordan series recently on Netflix. It's a good series. <laughs> and Air Jordan, you know, like, you know, shoes, the Air Jordan models to sell to teenagers. You know, it's always like using those kind of high end. But kind of keep in mind, it's, it's that as a general rule, which I think a lot of people don't really touch on is position above the market you sell. It's like you've got, people have got to see they've got that much value. It's like, you know, someone like yourself, Getting access to you, someone that's got the knowledge of, you know, like big industry from your your experience, obviously, in the in the past with the car, you know, Mercedes and so on, and getting access to tap in as someone who's at the head of top of sales in that kind of business for a small operation. It might be a business that, you know, even operates from home, an internet marketer that might be doing 500,000 bucks a year. That guy can get access to you. Like that's, you're above the market. You know what I mean? It's, so it's like, it's a no brainer to work with you. And that's all. On the other hand, if you weren't positioned, you know, as doing that, and of course, helping hundreds of businesses to achieve great success, then it's not going to, you know, if you're not positioned there, people aren't going to perceive they get value. So that's just kind of first point on that one. Kind of another little point in regards to positioning is people automatically perceive this is kind of like psychologically we have trigger responses to things. So if something's kind of low cost, and the reason I say this, one of the most common problems I see when it comes to pricing is people are always trying to make their pricing as lean as possible. It's like I need to be as low as possible. Now, just to keep in mind as a, at a kind of conceptual level, cheap will trigger poor quality in our minds, whereas expensive will trigger an automatic response in our minds of good quality, you know, value. It's like if, I, if we, we walked into a surf shop, you and I, if I took you into a brand new surf shop and I said, oh, look, there's a room over there where boards, you know, the max price is, say, $400 in your head, you know, and then I said, look, there's another room over there where there's boards up to, you know, $3,000 in that room. I'm pretty sure I know which room you'd want to walk into. <laughs> so we're in my garage, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the $3,000 room. Exactly. <laughs> so just let me get this right. When you say position above the market, are you talking about aspirational? Are you talking about hero brands like the concept car at a motor show or the super expensive product that a jewelry manufacturer will create that gets a lot of the press and the attention that is almost untouchable, but by contrast makes the other products you sell look like great value? Yes, absolutely. That's one strategy to help position above the market, like using the high-end product, exactly like the crazy, amazing car that they make for the car show, the Gucci handbag that's $500,000. But, you know, the companies would likely lose a lot of money on a project like that. However, as you said, it gets all sort of media coverage. We've done ones with a jeweler. We pushed him to make a high-end product 
and um, he made a $65,000 ring and he thought, you know, this is ridiculous, I'll never sell it. And he sold the thing in about three months. It's a pretty crazy story, actually. He sold it and then he was so happy about the sale that um, logistically a couple of things went wrong and um, the couple flew off to Portugal and he didn't have it ready in time. And then he actually flew over and hand-delivered it because of the cost of the, <laughs> the, cost of the, the well, ring. You know, that's one thing you're touching on here. When you price lean, right, if you're trying to take a position like Audi or Amazon or Walmart or whatever, like – you're trying to go for that low cost. You do need volume for that to work generally, and it doesn't leave you much fat to be able to serve the customer well. So you're going to need a frugal delivery model. Like mm. Aldi comes to mind because they went out and had manufacturers make products at the lowest cost possible. They redesigned pallets so that they're easier to distribute and cheaper. Now, your guy selling a ring, he probably wouldn't want to fly out if the ring was a $5,000 ring, you know, it just, it becomes ridiculous. The hidden point there is if you can build a product that you can price well and still sell, you can feel much better about delivering that result that someone expects because you're getting paid for it nicely and it adds to the experience. And certainly you reflected on my background coming from Mercedes Benz. Mm. Why would someone spend $430,000 on a car, which I've sold in the past, compared to buying a bicycle across the road because there's more going on than just transport. It's a lot to do with the perception of it. The experience of it is also a big element surrounding that with an experience. People will definitely pay more. Mm. Okay, so I think I understand what you mean by above the market. Yeah. And you've talked about trigger responses and how even just an expensive or a cheap price creates an impression, as uh, Cialdini talks about in Influence. Expensive equals good. Yeah. I had this funny one, which was a cafe. He said, you know, how can we do this? They're based in Perth and they do food walking tours and have a cafe. And and we're like, look, just make a high-end sandwich. And he made a, an expensive toasted sandwich. And um, he basically, then we helped him draft a press release, sent it to the West Australian, which is the biggest newspaper in WA, in Western Australia. And um, he got a half-page story and the headline was Rich Toasty Causing a Buzz. And there he was with this toasted cheese sandwich stretched out. He used some, you know, rare ham from Spain and Da, 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 but it was pretty the, the, the point of that too was it was a positioning tool so that's a one yeah one really good example of kind of positioning above the market and just looking at your brand as well looking at like is this brand is it high level like you know the above kind of the market like branding is an important you know if the brand looks kind of sloppy it's not going to help with that positioning and uh it also creates a nice contrast by having these kind of high-end products so you know that's kind of another thing chill daniel will touch on in his book like the whole contrast thing when one price is next to another if you've got a high-end product you know, a $400,000 car, you know, I bet, I don't know for sure you'd have more experience, but I bet Mercedes would sell majority, you know, probably around there, whatever, it's $100,000 cars, you know, probably the ones that they move a bigger volume. The average car price is 85000 in Australia for a luxury car. There you go. Right. There you go. So it's that positioning tool to go, I get that skill, that quality for only 85000 I'm winning as the- Well, it also attracts the person who wants something that not everyone can have or will have. It's like they want to be the only one at the golf club with that car. They want to be <laughs> looked at when they drive to the shops. They want to feel attractive to a potential mate. They want recognition and acknowledgement of all the 100-hour weeks they ground out in the workplace for the last 30 years. Yeah, They want someone to be 
intimidated by them when they're involved in an interaction and to defer power to them. Mm. There's a lot of things going on with a high ticket. Yeah. You know what the brand category that Mercedes-Benz put on that SL model was? No. Hedonist. (laughs) That was the internal label for that model. That's the label. That's awesome. (laughs) I learned a lot from the brand training that they put me through in around around about 2001. I went to uh, some training and they had the guy who was responsible for the global brands who ended up pretty much running it for Australia. And that was fascinating how much thought goes into this. I would say one of the biggest problems that I see is people chronically undercharge. Yeah. Or a lot to do with confidence. Yeah. And sometimes they just don't know there's another way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a really good point. In terms of charging, there's things like, I always like to say, look, how much value can you add? Because it's obviously you don't want to just charge a fortune and try to be kind of like without providing value. So you don't want to price gouge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you don't, you know, all positions are out of the market completely, but you've got to be able to provide the value. What happens if you do position yourself out of the market completely? Because that can happen. Yeah, yeah, it can. You're not going to get much traction, obviously. So you realize that. And what's the next step after that? And then we'd look at bringing in lower cost, high value. So we'd look at adjusting, going, maybe we'll keep that high. This is a funny because. I was having this conversation yesterday with an Australian whiskey brand, one of our our um, customers, and they're like, "Look, someone's coming to the market low end and kind of stealing the majority, and they're doing big volume, and now so they can reduce their costs and everything." And so it's exactly the conversation I was having. So it's like, okay, cool, let's keep these products as like, don't drop the value of the existing products because otherwise the perceived quality of those is going to go down with it. Yep. Let's bring in a different like you know, be a different model, different product, different. It's a different range for them which will be a, a lower priced competitor to compete with those kind of lower priced and bring in there. It's kind of like, say, in, in my background, I've done things throughout my life where I had a um, surf coaching business mm-hmm. uh, where I'd surf coach people. And then I had a business where I was manufacturing surfboards and then basic bananas assisting businesses with their marketing and so on. Now, with the surf coaching, I could deliver a certain amount of value, but it might be like, look, James, I'll help you with your bottom turn, you know, and it's kind of like, what price can you put on that? Like, obviously, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) it's a bit difficult and then in a 45 minute session I might be able to help you you know like transition in your turns smooth it now this might be life-changing for you but people aren't going to pay a thousand bucks for a 45 minute little session like that maybe some would but the majority they aren't right so on that one I could kind of go where can I price myself and I did price above because I had a lot of credibility obviously in that space majority but I might be kind of like making you know say a hundred bucks in 45 minutes whereas then with the surfboard business we're pricing different where I'll go what sort of value are we providing well we'll be the strongest board in the market for surf schools whereas all our competitors were out of China so we were charging you know around $550 a board whereas competitors were charging $250 a board so because we're kind of looking at the value whereas now with basic bananas and it's similar to you like if we help a business to make an extra $200,000 next year and they can continually use that knowledge forever ever 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 well ten thousand bucks isn't that big a deal you know to charge over a 12 month period for example or if someone's working one-to-one with me it's a lot higher rate you know i'll charge four thousand seven hundred for a half day one-to-one with someone to lay up their six months kind of next marketing plan and that's because with that like a mining supply company had me in last month 12 lj hooker agencies like real estate agencies had me in the month before and that's 
because for them, you know, I can provide the 4,700, they're going to make it back in no time. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like looking how much value can you bring? Like, I don't know what you'd pay for a better transition in your surfing, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and we'd have, we'd have to have another session the next week. Next week. Oh, you know, I go to the Maldives and I invest in bettering my ability and matching my equipment to make it work. Yeah. It's certainly what you're saying here to summarize is if the secret to the pricing can be found in being able to translate the outcome someone can have for investing in your product or service. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you can demonstrate a big outcome, your price can be more. I can relate to what you're saying because this morning I had a coaching call and for one client, I gave them two big ideas that ticks the goals they're trying to achieve. Just simple ideas that will be tiny hinges that swing massive barn doors for their business. Mm -hmm. So literally, we worked out this person will be able to make 10 times more from the same activity that he's currently doing that so far generates 130 sales every time he does it. Mm -hmm. We think he can make 1,300 sales every time he does this same thing, but with a slight difference there you go. that he was unaware of until our conversation. And because I've seen this technique done before elsewhere, I know that it's going to work for him mm. with a high degree of certainty. So the investment that he makes even in an entire year is covered from that one conversation. So it's especially important if you're selling information that you understand this concept, that the upside you can present to the customer could be significant, and that's going to make the price go up in line with it. Yeah. And the other thing that's really sort of not spoken about is if you don't charge enough, you won't stay in business and you're not going to be able to help anybody. Mm. So anyone listening to this thinking, oh, I feel guilty or concerned, you know, people will think I'm greedy if I charge a bit. So a couple of things. One is generally you are not your customer. So what is natural to you and what you're strong at, you probably discount the value of that. But for someone who needs that solution or that challenge, like, for example, if you're an able-bodied doctor, you might not value being able to rehabilitate someone to be able to walk because you can already walk. But for someone who's in a wheelchair, to be able to rehabilitate to walk is a massive result for them. So they would happily pay more than what you might think it's worth. Mm. And the second thing is if you're not in business and not helping people, then that's actually probably worse than you know, feeling like you're greedy for getting paid for what you're really good at. Yeah, yeah. And it's got to remain motivational for you as well. Like you kind of got to look at, you know, how much you're going to stay inspired. Like no matter how much you love what you do, like we were working with so many businesses that no matter how much they love delivering their, you know, treatment or outcomes or whatever they deliver for, especially service-based businesses, there'll come a time, you know, where it does get fatiguing or if they work with more and more. And so, yeah, absolutely. You've got to get that um, feel you're getting rewarded in return and you can provide more value as you hit on earlier, which is a super critical point as well. Also, there's not too many options. So here's some other common things we see with pricing, creating too many options. Like oftentimes businesses will think, look, not enough selling. We need to create another product or another service or another workshop or another consulting package. The businesses that will kind of narrow down to work like machines, it's usually kind of one or two things that actually work like a machine and in terms of like generating revenue. So as a general kind of rule, keep in mind, confused customers don't buy is kind of a, a rule I always like to share with people. Look, if I'm confused when I'm looking at you or your business or your homepage, where should I move to? And even product businesses where we'll go like a wholesaling business will go, look, when you go to a shop, you've got to go, here's the best selling products. I've packaged up the three top best sellers for you. These are the ones to buy. If they're looking at a range of, you know, 50 different products or how to move forward with you, you've got to make it simple, basically, for people to know how to move forward, basically. Not too many options. It kind of confuses. And um, 
In terms of the motivational thing, obviously there's the math side of it, like working out your fixed cost, working out your variable costs, like fixed cost things like, you know, if you've got, say, if it's in the internet businesses, there's hosting, there might be rent on your, your home or your office, there might be team that you pay, internet, you know, might be the CRM, the phone bill, like fixed costs that just recur all the time. And then um, obviously you just need to know these and then working out the variable costs, like each time you work with someone, if you're renting a room or you're sending out welcome packs or there's commissions that you give to sales people a lot of businesses don't really know their costs and if you do this you want to look at every little nitty-gritty detail like i even think if you're a service like you know yourself like you're an expense to your own business james you know like if you buy lunch you know that's coming out of the business account and so you're you're an expense so we want to make sure that's factored in basically because if we want to see profit at the end of the day and you eat at the cafe up the road which is a 25 dollars lunch every day you know plus you walk up and get three coffees you know it's like it actually at the end of the day we want to see a profit and i don't think that's a bad thing i think that's what keeps it sustainable for you if that makes sense it's like you know you need it to be sustainable so you need to be looked after because you're the most important like I guess asset in the business as well but it's still a cost and then things like like with my surfboard business I had to work out every piece initially we didn't actually even know the cost we're just making boards and pumping them out and then I was like oh my goodness like what's going on here you know there were times in winter where we'd cash flow just dried up completely and I was like what's happening so I had to look at every nitty-gritty and I, I even counted it down to like how much do we pay for things like sandpaper a blade in a saw that we use how long does it last how many boards does it last to cut through how much does it cost so if it's you know a, a $10 blade and it cuts 10 boards well that's $1 per board I need to put that into the cost to produce a board like everything that goes into it because and then going okay now how much am I worth what are we going to you know put on top and that's kind of like the mathematical way to look at that cool like in the back of the postcard calculation we might look at our total revenue yep we might subtract all the costs and see what that profit is and then we might have a look at how many hours we worked to come up with our effective hourly rate and that could be a guideline Mm. i know for example if i want to create a coaching program i need to work out what will be the income from that program what will be the costs associated with it? And then how many hours of my life will I need to fulfill? And then that gives me a good yes or no decision. And if it doesn't work on the spreadsheet, there's no point even doing the sales page or setting up the thing. And you definitely don't want to get too far down the track until you realize that you're getting paid $15 an hour. (laughs) And you should have probably taken a different approach in that case. So definitely you got to know your numbers, no doubt about it. And then if you can get granular on it, that would be good. I would suggest to any business owner listening to this to look at your P&L at least once a month, every single line item, go through every tool you're paying for, all your staff costs, all fixed and variable costs you want to just take into account because you'll find something there that you can question or query or adapt or modify or delete or add and do the numbers. When I had a service business, I knew that each time I hired a team member, that I had more capacity to deliver customers and I knew the overall profit margin of the business based on our pricing range. And just like you said, Christo, the bulk of our business came from just, a, I think, two main products we started that business with. That's actually how you and I met, if I remember correctly. Mm, yes. You were buying some of our service and I spoke to you on the phone at some point. Yeah. And uh, I did that because R&D with your customers is another good way to understand how you're creating value, what they actually need to get as a result of your products. So you can adjust and tune with research and development and modify your products and services like your friend with the alcohol. 
they have to modify their product because the market has shifted and they've got to take account. And I like this sort of idea that if anyone's going to cannibalize you, it might as well be you. Mm. So I put out a product underneath my main product recently and it's just taken off like wildfire because <laughs> there was a whole category of people who weren't quite ready for super fast business who can now come in at super fast results and it's no mistake having the word results in the domain name because that's exactly what that product does and then of course for a lot of people just putting a product on top of their most expensive product is a really quick win and it will cater for the next level of customer who would have bought from them except they probably thought they were too cheap or not good enough yeah 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 exactly the whole um reviewing should be as you've just said like reviewing everything monthly even if at least quarterly for busy people where it's like i think quarterly is just too long for a business in the online space yeah yeah where you're moving because like you said like you might be attracting a different customer suddenly or selling a more lucrative things change if you took the period between february 2020 and may 2020 (laughs) just as a sample (laughs) yeah you have an entirely different world yeah that's how fast things and i think one of the keys to our effectiveness to be an all-weather business an evergreen business that works in any market condition is to be hyper responsive to change Mm. to firstly detect that change has occurred and secondly adapt and one thing i did on a pricing front was i recalibrated one of my offerings and that's because i went and looked at the data when I looked at the buying patterns, the retention patterns, the people were attracting and the ratio split between two products and identified that one of them was selling less and they weren't staying as long. Mm. And that was the cheaper product. So like something needs to change here. So I adjusted it. And as part of a product price rollback, which is the very rare case where I actually roll back a price, one thing we do is we go and make sure anyone who's on the older price gets rolled back as well along with it, with a good sort of reasoning why. So you have to always look after your current customers more than you look after people who you've never met, always. And that's where credit card companies, banks, finance, telcos, they usually fail at this, even shops. We just bought some clothing for our baby girl and then like literally the next day, they sent a special clear-out sale coupon for a reduced price on the same item we just bought the day before. It's <laughs> yeah. like a way to piss someone off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. So, like if you're going to raise prices, if you've got recurring customers, try and look after them or the repeat customers or let them know first. I always uh, lock them in. I give them a loyalty lock-in. Yeah, grandfather. Right? It does wonders for retention, but yeah. it's not always possible. Yeah. Big companies like Netflix will increase the rates, but they'll give you plenty of notice and you can switch it off if you don't like it. Yeah. Because sometimes they change the nature of the offering and it's not sustainable for them to keep an old cohort. Occasionally, I've had to end a product where it just doesn't make sense for us to deliver it anymore. Mm. And often we'll make a referral to where they can get it or we'll offer them something else that we have. So, you know, that is a realistic scenario that can happen, but it really comes down to making sure you've got very good communication with your customers. Should we talk about the pricing numbers? Because this one yeah. this one seems to be discussed a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, this is like what uh, camera do you use? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the whole like Getting into the actual nitty-gritty of the numbers, 
obviously you can look at competitors. I think if your positioning is done well, you don't need to look at competitors so much. So that, but it's worth having a glance at least. That's what I'd say in that department. When it comes to actual numbers of things, just touching before I actually say specific numbers, like if you are a service-based to try packaging and bundling yourself into some sort of framework or program or process or like a six-week summer body program or, you know, something where it's a bit more of a package bundle program versus just one-off sessions where people can just crystal clear, see your hourly rate. It'll be easier for people to purchase it when it's clear. It's kind of like, oh, I'm buying this program for this price, not just paying like, you know, one-off sessions and how many should I actually get or how many do I need? Um, so kind of like locking people, just touching on that one. But then when it comes to actual numbers, being specific, we call it precision pricing, where you, rather than having numbers that are round figures, it looks like you've just kind of pulled up, you know, a number out of thin air. Like you say, oh, look, it's $500 for this thing. Whereas if you say it's 470 it's just kind of like a, more like you've actually done the work to work out a specific figure. There's lots of testing out there. So I don't have to bang on about, you know, you read in a million marketing books or bang on about number nine and sevens and nines. And there's um, lots of studies out there. I think also in, um, I think it's in Predictably Irrational. That's a great book as well by Dan Ariely, so similar to the influence by Cialdini. But um, in Predictably Irrational, Irrational, there's a lot of like testing with numbers and things and um, and number nine and studies where there's one study particularly where MIT and the University of Chicago did a study with a piece of women's clothing. So the same item was sold separately so people couldn't see the different price offerings, but for $34, $39 uh, and $44. So it's $34, $39 and $44. And the one that sold the most was actually 39 So above the lowest, like the cheapest was $34. So $5 more expensive. The use of nines, this is an interesting one and just seems to work. And we've done a lot of testing ourselves because I always thought this has got to be garbage. Like, you know, really. And I almost think it looks... um you know, it looks cheesy. It looks like not Mercedes car salesman, but it looks like used car salesman kind of like, oh, it's four nine 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 nine, and you're like, you're not tricking me. I know that's 5,000. You know, it's, um, I kind of look at it and think, you've got to be kidding me. But we've done a lot of, you know, testing ourselves where we test things. And the sevens and nines in our experience have just worked as well. Like it might be rather than pricing something, say $500, you go 470. Rather than charging 520, you'd go 490. So just finding that all 570. The use of sevens and nines working very well. I don't know in your experience how you found that as well, but um, if um, Mercedes, it'd be interesting to know, did they kind of jam that one down your throat or what what was their (laughs) thinking on that one? It's basically a general acceptance, except that there is research that, you know, in some studies that shows that it becomes sort of weaker if it's overused. So as more as the practice intensifies, it can lose its effect. Interesting, like for Silver Circle, I have a round number for the first month's payment for that. I've used round numbers for a long time on that. Right. As like a deposit, is that a uh, a deposit type? It's like the first month's payment is five grand. Yeah. And a Silver Circle member wants it to be 5000 and I need it to be that to do what I do at a high level. It has to be worth it for me and it has to be worth it for them. Mm. And I have a limited capacity with that product. For all my other prices, generally they end in nine. Yeah. The difference between nine and seven, you might as well make the extra $2. Yeah. And I would also venture that virtually everyone listening to this podcast is most unlikely to have enough data to be able to validly test it anyway. Yeah. Unless you're Amazon or have significant volume, mm-hmm. you probably aren't going to be able to do a statistically valid test whether nines or sevens. But I do know it's probably a good idea to avoid fours because it's superstitious in some cultures. And I also know that when you visit Amazon and look at the prices on their page, 
you'll see a lot of prices ending in nines and sevens and they have precision pricing like you talked about. Yeah. You almost never see a round number on the Amazon site. So yeah, yeah. to me, I'd say look at the sites where they would get enough data to statistically test stuff. Yeah. And it makes sense to me that nine ninety nine sounds cheaper than ten. Yeah, yeah. That being the case, I do have a ten dollar product, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm the contrarian. I did that because I saw a case study where a guy had a coconut oil information product that was ten dollars, and that beat every other test he had around it. He had tried nineteen dollars, seventeen dollars, seven dollars, nine ninety nine, and ten dollars slayed, and he had a lot of volume, which was good, but. <laughs> That's interesting. It also just seems like a really honest pricing in contrast to the way everyone else is doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my actual members at the moment put it in our, like we have a Facebook group online where there's the about 450 kind of business people that are part of the basic bananas community and world. And um, one of the members just put in some pricing options. And it's funny to look at, there was an option which was, I think it's 179. She did, oh, What was it? No, it was 190 and the other one was 220. So she said for counselling, like she's a, a counsellor, and uh, mm-hmm. 190 versus 220, you know, guys, I'd love your votes. Can you all vote? And there's about 25 people on the 190 and not one person voted on the 220. Uh, interesting to see. Just within a, a little kind of using the community as like a little focus group to nut out some pricing and there you go, you're kind of like, huh, interesting, good little kind of like little micro tests. And obviously they're people within our world, so they're probably influenced by hearing me say these kind of things and, and so on. However, definitely, I'd say there's so much bias and uh, lack of actual buyer intent there that you'd have to say the result would be next to meaningless. Yeah. I'd love to put it on a cart. Be interesting to see. And see what happens. Yeah, yeah, to see if they actually check out. I bet the 220 session is considered more valuable by the buyer. Be interesting to know because we do have new people in the community that haven't been around long. You know, there's a real mix in there and some people that are, you know, in all different industries. So it was interesting to see that not one, but anyway, it's 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 a good. Well, I think once a few people stack on, you know, if they can see responses, that also will bias the study. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But basically- what we're saying here is you're never going to know the difference between one or the other. So you might as well just pick something that sounds about right that still makes you a profit and start with that. And you can fine tune and adjust as you go. And you'll find your little sweet spot price points as I have for my products. And I do change them and move them around a bit from here or there, but I'm always considerate of people who are already in a program or on a program. Yeah. Yeah. The exception to that's probably a book on Amazon where if you do put it on sale, technically it's cheaper the day after someone just bought it. However, it's super rare that I even do that. Right. Yeah. And we're talking like a su- very small amount. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> difference between $10 and $5 or whatever. <laughs> nice. Or $3 and $2. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they're not going to kick up a fuss too much. They're probably not really looking back on Amazon anyway, unless you've called it out through emails or something like that. Uh, or if you mentioned on a podcast or whatever. It's like, it's. Yeah. <laughs> Give me back my three bucks. Yeah, fair enough. Honestly, I think the book is worth substantially more than what it sells for. It's it's a ridiculous value proposition. Yeah, of course. Books are like that though, aren't they? It's like apps. People won't want to, you know, you pay for a um, an app. If you pay six bucks, it's like you've spent a fortune on an app, even though the app <laughs> might deliver you like tons and tons of values for years. And that just shows how fallible we are with our ability to make crazy decisions based on our biases and perceptions and errors that cause us to do weird stuff. I think the best book I've ever read on this is called The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Dobelli. 
I would highly recommend that to anyone listening to this. If they want to understand how crazy we are as humans and how we fall into traps and mistakes all the time. Someone will drive across town to save $10 on a T-shirt, but they'll spend $15 in tolls and petrol to get there. Mm, Yeah, yeah. We're weird creatures, aren't we? And it's not always (laughs) logical. That's one thing for people to keep in mind. Like, we're not logical beings. Like, sometimes we'll help someone. They raise a price. They sell more, basically just raising the price. And it is a bit of a mystery behind it sometimes where we're like, okay, found a pretty good um, sweet spot here. But obviously, justifying the value and delivering the value is always, you know, absolutely important. And just like kind of one last thing I'd touch on is like gaining your credit as quickly as possible as a, an authority in your space like if it's product or service business to business business consumer whatever you offer like typical three different ways the marketing that typically says you know you're great like most marketing says you know we're fantastic buy from us then um second way is others you know getting testimonials reviews if you work in the health industry and you can't use things like that maybe you've got an association membership or on a stamp you know some sort of association or accreditation and it sounds like you use press as well for that yeah press absolutely if you've got media mentions you put those in if you've got credible client logos if you want a business award it's any way someone else you know that says they're great even if it's a social media comment and you just screenshot people's comments if you see people saying nice stuff about you file it because you can use it down to the track and make sure you get their permission yeah get their permission and you blow out their name if they've said it on social they're probably happy enough anyway too no, i've seen some marketers expressly annoyed about this particular point where people take a screenshot of their comment and then use it as an as an ad or something unauthorized or testimonial yeah right so check it over and it depends where they've said it too. Like if they said it, say they said it in your side, your community, then you probably, if you're publishing publicly, obviously you absolutely need to be that of course. And um, oh, 100%, you got to ask. And then the, the third way for credibility would kind of like to justify your pricing as well, you know, aiming higher for your pricing is demonstrating your credibility. Like, like this, like a podcast, like you mentioned your book, like obviously demonstrate people can create articles. Like if you know your stuff, create seven fantastic articles, publish them on your website, put your heart and soul into creating like seven amazing articles or some video tip resources but basically demonstrate your credibility so people can make a decision quicker like that i mentioned a uh, lj hooker the the real estate agent chain in australia that say so 12 of their um their franchises got me they're certainly getting good value off our podcast they so. are right they are. <laughs> you should invoice well, them after this when we hang up they actually sort of said we need to do some new things and so they're in <laughs> And they kind of like flew me in to basically work with them because they needed to update things. They needed to do some new things and it's a competitive space. And um, they kind of used to be the go-to So they're, and they're understanding that. So basically, and I asked, what made you choose me? Like, where'd you even find out? And they said they looked on the site, they saw a bunch of videos, they watched a couple, they were really good tips. And then they looked and there was like thousands of videos on the site. And they're like, oh, wow. There's a lot of knowledge that these guys have. Surely they can help us, you know, and basically they decided really quickly. It's like even like what you're doing here, you share so much through, you know, giving out knowledge to the world that it's just like you're basically educating the world to attract customers. And that's kind of like that that third point of demonstrating, of course, but always looking like um, – because people will turn, tend to kind of go to their, you know, their strengths. They're a great copywriter. They'll write some great copy and then they kind of miss out on the other points. But obviously making sure well, we- That's always the battle with great copywriters is you have to make sure that their amazing copy matches the delivery performance of what you do. And- yeah. <laughs> I've built my whole business around performance-based 
Like I want results for my customers, often more than they even do, which is, you know, yeah. and I think this point I want to add here, demonstration obviously is very strong in the automotive industry. People want to drive before they buy mm. often. It's not always the case. Certainly some people are disrupting that model. However, it is good if you can demonstrate. If, if you've got people who've got a result and they're happy to share it, that is so powerful, especially as a trust builder online. But I just want to say empathy. Empathy is a good one. And one thing about pricing is we often get caught up thinking about pricing. You know, we think of it from our own self perspective. We think about Mm. the price for our business and what it's going to do for us and can we make a profit. The other side of the coin is we want to put ourselves in the customer's shoes. And remember, they're not sending you that money so you can buy a new surfboard. (laughs) They are not sending you that money so you can have an acai bowl. They're investing in themselves. They are making an investment to go from their current situation to a better alternative situation. That is why they're making the investment. They're investing in their result. If you can deliver that result, then shout it to the rooftops. Prove it, demonstrate it, help more and more people do it, get yourself out there. This has been a fountain of pricing knowledge, Christo. I appreciate all your tips and notes on this topic. You're welcome. Thank you. And thanks. What an awesome discussion, you know, like on this topic that can be so challenging for everyone. So, no, I appreciate it. It's definitely challenging. But for most people, look, figure out what your costs are at a margin and and you got one thing. Another way is to figure out what result you can get for someone and base it on being less than the result and make a much bigger margin in many cases. Mm -hmm. If you're not making a profit, try and figure that out fairly early so you don't dig yourself into a hole. Start and then adjust if you need to, but be considerate of anyone who's already bought or especially if it's a recurring program, you've got a few choices there. Or reach out to an expert and ask for help, like share with them what you've got, show them how it's different to what's in the marketplace. Certainly initial research on competitors is good. It's often good to buy someone else's products or services and get to know them well. Before I started my membership, I was a member of other people's and I figured out all the things I didn't like about them so that I could create something that was a better solution for my audience. A lot of products are born out of that. I was hearing about the Shopify guy used to be a gamer who had a snowboard interest and got a snowboard shop and then got into the e-commerce. I have to research that more because it sounds like a fascinating story, Uh, but that's how things are born. Yeah, amazing. Awesome. Thanks for having me so much. I've had a good time and hopefully we'll have to catch up and go surfing again soon too. (laughs) Always, Christo. And you'll appreciate this. I put a four-board rack inside my house, so I only got four to choose from every time I surf. What? What on... How did you choose the four from the other 40 in the garage? <laughs> They're on rotation, you know. Like oh, ah, yeah, The best thing is by the time I rotate them, I'm like, oh, I remember this one. This is so cool. Like I'm a, I get – I reignite <laughs> the excitement. So <laughs> Happy to hear that that's kind of narrowed the choices for you to make it a – Definitely improved things. Quick decision to get out in the water, yeah. I've even ridden the same board 10 times in a row, so. Oh, my goodness. You'd be proud of me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Christo, where can we go and check out your stuff? Basic Bananas is the best place to go, basicbananas.com and um, Basic Bananas on social media on any of the platforms. We always respond to any comments or any questions people have. So, yeah, they're the best places to go or people can check me out personally on, on social media. But Basic Bananas is the best location and the most active on my own ones. I'm pretty lazy, busy surfing with you and uh, <laughs> probably won't be as responsive. But basicbananas.com is the place to go. Thanks, mate. This has been awesome. Thank you.
There we go. That's Christo Frothlord Hall from Sydney, Australia. And this episode is episode number 747. If you want to review it, check out the transcription. We published the entire transcription on superfastbusiness.com. And uh, always appreciate your comments and feedbacks. If you like the podcast, give it a rating. I never ask, but I think it's time we get a few reviews up there on iTunes. Thank you. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.